The world had always been a place of order for me. Captain John Nighthawk Rogers, Navy SEAL Team Leader. That order shattered the day monstrous beasts began attacking major U.S. naval bases. My squad and I were at Norfolk Naval Base when the first attack occurred. A beast, its body a grotesque mix of scales and claws, tore through our defenses. It was unlike anything we'd ever seen, a nightmare brought to life. Coordinated attacks didn't stop there. Reports poured in from bases across the country, each detailing similar horrifying encounters. An unknown terrorist group was behind this, using the beasts as their weapons. We're SEALs. I told my squad, my voice steady despite the carnage around us. Our nation needs us. We're going to stop these beasts and bring those responsible to justice. Our mission had two parts. Neutralize the threats and discover their origin. We dispatched teams to each affected base, while a group of us, including myself, started investigating the monsters. Battles raged across the country as we tried to neutralize the monstrous threats. The beasts were tough, with skin that deflected bullets and strength that outmatched our best-trained soldiers. But we were SEALs. We adapted. We overcame. Meanwhile, our investigation led us to a chilling discovery. These weren't natural creatures. They were bioengineered, a perversion of nature created in a lab. Piecing together intelligence, we located the terrorist group's headquarters, a compound hidden deep in the mountains. As we infiltrated, we discovered the horrifying truth. The terrorists had found a way to control the monsters, using them as pawns in their twisted game. With this knowledge, we devised a daring plan to sever the control the terrorists had over the beasts. A fierce battle ensued, the echoes of gunfire and roars of monsters filling the night air. It was chaos, but in the chaos, we found our opportunity. We severed the control link, causing the beasts to become disoriented and giving us the upper hand. The battle was won, but the war was far from over. The terrorists were unmasked, their monstrous weapons neutralized, but the scars they left were deep. As we stood amidst the rubble of what was once a symbol of our nation's strength, we knew our job was only just beginning. The world was a different place now, a place where monsters could be real. But as long as there were threats to our nation, there would be people ready to stand against them. We were the Navy SEALs, and we would face whatever came next. It was the time of our annual harvest festival in the village, a time when we came together to celebrate the bounty of the earth and the bonds of our community. Laughter filled the air, and the smell of delicious foods and the sounds of music and dance filled our hearts with joy. However, none of us could have anticipated the events that would soon unfold. During the height of the celebrations, an enigmatic stranger appeared in our midst. He was an odd figure, with a gleam in his eyes and an aura of mystery that captivated us all. Claiming to possess supernatural powers, he challenged the villagers to a game, promising to grant us extraordinary gifts if we could best him. Intrigued by the stranger's words, we eagerly accepted his challenge, unaware of the true nature of our opponent. As the game began, we soon discovered that the stranger was no ordinary man, but rather a cryptid known as the Trickster, a shape-shifting being that thrived on chaos and mischief. With each passing moment, the Trickster used his paranormal abilities to manipulate the villagers, turning us against one another and pushing our community to the brink of destruction. Friend turned against friend, 
and the bonds that had united us for generations began to unravel. In the midst of the chaos, our village's wise elder recognized the danger we were facing. She knew that the only way to save our community from ruin was to outwit the trickster and put an end to his malicious game. Drawing upon her knowledge of ancient lore and her own deep wisdom, she devised a plan to confront the cryptid and expose his true nature. The Elder gathered the remaining villagers and shared her plan. We listened intently, understanding the gravity of the situation and the importance of unity in the face of the trickster's deceptions. With renewed determination, we followed the Elder's guidance and played the game using our wits and our trust in one another to resist the trickster's manipulations. Despite our best efforts, however, the trickster's power was too great. He wiped out the majority of our people, leaving only a small group of us standing. Realizing that he could no longer deceive us or sow chaos among us, the cryptid fled, vanishing into the shadows from which he had emerged, never to be found again. In the aftermath of the devastation, those of us who remained came together to rebuild our village and heal the wounds of the past. We mourned the loss of our loved ones and vowed to honor their memories by preserving the lessons we had learned. The story of the trickster would be passed down through the generations, a cautionary tale of the dangers of hubris and the importance of unity in the face of adversity. And though our village would never be the same, we held on to the hope that together we could face whatever challenges the future might hold. I'm currently 30, but was about 17 at this time. I was at a friend's house, two brothers, for the second or third time, deep country, hung out into the evening and night. The older one, in my grade, randomly brings up some bright light that shines around that isolated area. I didn't think much of it, but they seemed to be down for a little night adventure. We decided to roll a blunt and go sit out in some pasture or field. We sat around, talked, looked at the stars. I didn't even remember what they were talking about earlier. Suddenly, everything I could see lit up like day for a fraction of a second. It was as if a digital camera three miles wide was hovering above us and just snapped a picture with the flash on. I remember seeing the hills in the distance, trees and cows here and there. It was over as soon as it started, and we all looked at each other, confused. Our expressions all lead to the same reaction and all of us run. We sprinted through pastures and helped each other through barbed wire fences, just scared. According to the two brothers, this was not a rare occurrence in Milheim, Texas. We're not friends anymore, in case anyone wonders why I use that context. I don't have a single clue as to what this was, just that it happened. Freaked me out and blew my mind. Had me feeling like a bacterium in a petri dish for a moment. I've never heard of anything even somewhat related to this. It seems coincidental that I saw it the same day I was told about it, but that's how it happened. And no, I'm not talking about a spark or light bulb. It was literally like clear daylight for about two, four seconds. Clear skies, looking at the stars all night. No lightning or thunder. There was no sound to it. In the small town of Crossland, Kentucky, humble people live simple lives and farm and sell goods to the bigger neighboring Puryear, Tennessee and Murray, Kentucky respectively. In the early 1960s, a man named Larry Orr stumbled upon the snake. Unlike anything common to the area, it was 65 feet long by length and 6 feet by width, 
In his words, well, I had thought it was a moonshine still until it hissed at me. Sketch of the beast was drawn by his nephew perfectly to his description. It was emerald green with irregular brown splotches on its back and underbelly. Branching off from other snake species, it had a row of human-like teeth and fangs where its incicores would be. Small spikes lined across its back and head and ended off with a crest between its eyes. As the story spread, journalists from around the U.S. flocked to get a glimpse of the creature that scared the residents of Crossland. Hunters and trackers also attempted to catch the creature to no avail. In 1977, an expert snake hunter finally caught the beast, but was revealed as a fake, as the snake was less than half the size and actually from a circus which was in the area at the time. During the era of the snake, livestock and peats mysteriously disappeared, with the only remaining evidence where bells, collars, and blood. The early 80s proved the end of the snake overturned as residents of Crossland out part of Pierrier, Tennessee C Part 1, and their town have faded into obscurity. Before I end this off, this is 100% true. Crossland, Tennessee exists, and evidence of the snake hunt can be in many local newspapers from that time and region of the Tennessee and Kentucky state line. As many wonder on about the past terror of a monstrous snake, could it happen again in those deep, dense cornfields, the dark, dreary woods of the night, or the muddy, murky waters of the creeks and marsh? One thing is for sure, snake season is spring. I have always been an avid hunter, venturing into the vast wilderness of Arizona in search of challenging prey. On this particular day, my sights were set on the majestic bison, their power and grandeur calling out to my hunter's instinct. Little did I know that this hunt would become an encounter beyond my wildest imagination. As the sun began its ascent, casting a warm glow over the rugged landscape, I set out, my rifle in hand and a sense of anticipation pulsing through my veins. The crisp morning air filled my lungs as I ventured deeper into the heart of the wilderness. The scent of pine mingled with the earthy musk of the wild, creating a symphony of aromas that enveloped me. Hours passed with no sign of the bison I sought. The stillness of the forest seemed almost eerie, broken only by the rustling of leaves beneath my feet. Undeterred, I pressed on, my senses attuned to every sound and movement around me. Then, as if by some otherworldly calling, my eyes were drawn to a clearing ahead. A peculiar sensation washed over me, tingling with a mix of fear and curiosity. I cautiously made my way toward the edge of the clearing, my footsteps light and deliberate. And there, standing before me, was a creature unlike anything I had ever seen. Towering at least eight feet tall, Covered in coarse, matted hair that seemed to absorb the sunlight, it possessed a primal aura that sent shivers down my spine. Its massive frame exuded strength, its muscles rippling beneath the fur as it effortlessly balanced on two legs. Its face, a testament to wild mystery, bore a striking resemblance to the mythical figure, often spoken of in hushed whispers, Bigfoot, its deep set, Intelligent eyes regarded me with a mixture of caution and curiosity. I stood frozen, my mind struggling to comprehend the magnitude of this encounter. For a moment, time seemed to stand still as we locked gazes. And then, as if realizing it had been discovered, the creature emitted a low growl that resonated through the clearing. 
In a swift motion, it turned and vanished into the dense undergrowth, leaving only the echo of its presence behind. My heart pounded in my chest, adrenaline coursing through my veins. I could hardly believe what I had witnessed. The rare glimpse into a world unknown to most. The story I had to share was extraordinary, a testament to the wonders that lay hidden in the depths of the wilderness. Eagerly, I rushed back to civilization, fueled by the need to share my encounter with the world. But as I revealed my story, excitement gleaming in my eyes, I was met with skepticism and dismissive smiles. They questioned my lack of evidence, demanding photographs, or tangible proof of my extraordinary claim. Their disbelief stung, their doubts chipping away at the foundation of my experience. I had witnessed something profound, a moment that transcended the boundaries of the ordinary. Yet, without tangible evidence, my story became just another campfire story, lost in the annals of unverified legends. But within me, the memory of that encounter burned bright. The image of the creature's penetrating gaze, the immense presence it commanded, remained etched in my mind. I may not have captured it on film, but the truth of that encounter would forever dwell within my hunter's heart. So, I continued to venture into the wilderness, my camera now a permanent companion, determined to find that elusive creature once more, to capture its existence on film and unveil the truth to those who doubt. I tread the path of the hunter with renewed purpose, for the wild holds secrets yet untold, and I am steadfast in my pursuit of the extraordinary. I am a young Native American man living on a reservation. I have always felt a strong connection to the natural world, but I never imagined that my family had a secret connection to Sasquatch. It all started when my grandfather passed away and my father inherited his journal. In it, my grandfather wrote about a time when he encountered Sasquatch deep in the forest. He described it as a peaceful creature, one that seemed to understand the connection between all living things. My father was skeptical at first, but then strange things started happening. Our family began to hear strange howls and screams coming from the forest at night, and we found footprints that were far too large to belong to any human. At first we were afraid, but then my father remembered my grandfather's journal and began to suspect that we might have a connection to the Sasquatch. We decided to investigate further, and my father took me deep into the forest to a place that he had only visited once before. There we found an ancient cave covered in mysterious symbols and carvings. My father explained that this was a sacred place and that it was believed to be a portal between our world and the spirit world. As we explored the cave, we felt a strange energy around us. It was then that we heard a low growl and we turned to see a massive Sasquatch standing before us. My father calmly spoke to the creature, explaining who we were and why we had come. To our surprise, the Sasquatch seemed to understand us, and it allowed us to leave the cave unharmed. We realized then that we had a special connection to these creatures, and that we needed to protect them from those who would seek to harm them. Since that day, we have worked to protect the Sasquatch and their habitat from those who would seek to exploit them. We have also embraced our heritage and the connection we share with all living things, and we hope to pass this knowledge on to future generations. Our connection to the Sasquatch has become a source of pride for our family, and we will continue to work to protect them for as long as we live.
I should start by saying that I couldn't be sure this wasn't a bear, but it was much bigger than the other bears I've seen. I was exploring the dirt roads off of Hillockburn Road, FS Road 45, trying to find a route to Malala that was still open. I was riding a motorcycle LR650 and came upon a long straight and saw what I assumed to be a very large bear in the road. I'm an accomplished backpacker, adventure motorcyclist, and general outdoors person. I know that large bears are unusual this close to civilization, and that certainly any bears you might encounter are black bears. I'd encountered black bears several times in Oregon, while backpacking and know what they look like. My first reaction was to slam on the brakes. The thing was probably 300 yards away, but very large. As soon as I stopped, the thing stood up on two legs and walked away directly sideways off the road and into the brush. I know bears don't walk for on two legs, especially when making an escape, so that seemed out of place. I rode up to the where the thing had been and saw it had been feeding or checking out a dead deer in the road that I hadn't noticed. The odd thing is that this is in the middle of nowhere, relatively speaking. I've not seen another car up here once you leave the main road, and the odds of a car or truck being up here and hitting a deer is practically zero, but the deer had been dead for some time and was black and rotting. I realized that I'm sitting next to Carrion and had just seen either a bear or something more threatening eating it, and rode away quickly to continue my exploring. The only other thing to point out is that the deer wasn't there when I rode back out. This is an area that saw a lot of logging in the 70s and 80s, but is relatively unused now. Most roads are gated that doesn't stop a motorcyclist, and generally the forest is young with small sections of old growth. Where I made this sighting there was bigger trees by the side of road concealing an old logging project about 25 feet off the road. Haven't told many people about this, as I didn't want to seem crazy. I've since heard that there have been a number of sightings near Colton, which was the next closest town besides Estacada. I had a bizarre experience about two years ago near the Three Sisters Mountains of the Mackenzie River area in central Cascades of Oregon. I was camped at a lake we had packed to, next to a closed BSA campsite. We were definitely alone as we had special permission to be there from the BSA, and it was off season. It was in May and the snow had finally cleared in most spots and the weather was warming up. Anyway, at dusk, there was a long series of high-pitched gruff, buzzing whistles that we heard adjacent to camp. We had camped close to shore bellow a rise that overlooked the lake in our camp. The sound echoed around the lake and were fairly loud. Only three of the six of us heard it. It moved slowly along the bluff back and forth for about 45 minutes. A friend and I went to see what it was, and it would move off away from us. As we would get closer to the source, it stopped shortly after dark. However, it resumed at dawn and got very close to camp. When we felt comfortable to investigate, there was no sign of any kind along the animal trail that traversed the ridge. There was a cross path that cut through a thicket that had been recently used by animals. We are all veteran hunters, trackers, and woodsmen, and none who heard it could say what it was. It definitely wasn't elk, frogs, or crickets. It was unlike anything we had heard previous or since. Does anyone know of any reported sightings in that area from 1998 or 99? How about any known bird or animals that would make this sound? I am trying to remain objective about this and not branded a Bigfoot encounter, and have been thinking about it for the last two years.
My name is Kurt. Me and my fiance Sean were camping up off of Ben Smith Road, August 1-2, 1998. Sunday the 2nd, we packed up camp by noon and headed down to the Wilson River to cool off a bit. It was very hot. We drove down off of Ben Smith Road going east on the Flats Road that follows the river. We crossed the river to lay in the sun. We were there for 10-15 minutes when I saw someone or something down river about 45-50 yards swaying back and forth with its head down the whole time while also moving up and down river with no problem at all. I didn't think much of it at first, but when Sean got up and moved to the middle of the river it spotted us, froze and then glared at us. Then I moved to the middle and didn't take my eyes off of it. It moved to the right of the river, in some bushes somewhat hiding it seemed like. Then I knew something wasn't right. It had big hair and long arms. It didn't act human-like at all. I couldn't make out a face, just eye sockets. I wondered what it was wearing winter clothes for when it was 90 degrees outside. They were not clothes. It had reddish blonde, like hair, and was about six feet tall. I have hunted and fished up at Lee's camp for years and have never seen anything like it before. After we got home that night, we talked about it more, leaving us with a strange feeling. We know what it was now, a female yeti. The sun was setting as I patrolled the deep woods near the Grand Canyon. I'm Park Ranger Jane, and the silence was broken only by the sounds of rustling leaves, the occasional chirping of a bird. I was well versed in the local wildlife, and the legends that surrounded the area. However, nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to encounter. As I walked along the trail, I felt an inexplicable sense of unease. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and a shiver ran down my spine. I had heard stories about the Wendigo, a terrifying creature said to roam these woods, but I had always dismissed them as folklore. Suddenly, I heard a guttural growl from behind me. I whirled around, only to find myself face to face with the Wendigo itself. Its gaunt figure towered above me, antlers protruding from its skull-like head. Its eyes were dark and filled with an insatiable hunger. I was frozen with terror, unable to move or even scream. In the blink of an eye, the Wendigo lunged at me, tackling me to the ground. The force of the impact knocked the wind out of me, and I struggled to catch my breath. I could feel its rancid breath on my face as it leaned in closer, ready to claim its next victim. But just as quickly as it had appeared, the Wendigo vanished. It seemed to dissolve into the shadows, leaving me alone and terrified on the forest floor. I scrambled to my feet, my heart pounding in my chest, and grabbed my radio. I desperately called in my colleagues, my voice shaky as I recounted the attack. They rushed to my aid, but when they arrived, there was no sign of the Wendigo. I could see the skepticism in their eyes as they listened to my story. Despite the very real terror I had experienced, they dismissed it as nothing more than an overactive imagination. Determined to prove the existence of the Wendigo, I led my colleagues deeper into the woods, hoping to find some evidence of the creature. We searched for hours, but found nothing. No tracks, no broken branches, no signs of a struggle. As night fell, we reluctantly returned to the ranger station, my colleagues still unconvinced. I knew what I'd seen, and I knew that the Wendigo was still out there, lurking in the shadows. I vowed to continue my search, to prove the existence of the creature, and ensure the safety of the people who ventured into the deep woods near the Grand Canyon. 
But as the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months, my resolve wavered. The Windigo remained elusive, its presence haunting my every waking moment. I could not forget the chilling encounter, and I could not escape the nagging feeling that the Windigo was still watching me, waiting for the perfect moment to strike again. So I've never had a paranormal experience in my life. My boyfriend seems to have enough for the both of us. One of the ones that stuck with me the most was when we went camping last year at Ovens National Park. We had just arrived back from spending the summer in Western Canada and hadn't seen each other in four months. So we decided to spend some time together and go camping with another couple that were close friends of ours. We booked the cheapest cabin at the campground for two nights and headed out. The first day we spent there was pretty uneventful. To give some context, the park is famous for its sea calves that are carved into the rocky cliffs of the Nova Scotia shore. The first day, we hiked the trail that overlooked the caves or the ovens, as they were called, and we were able to go down into some of them. That night, we had a campfire, but turned in early because we're nerds. So we sat inside the small cabin and started playing cards. My boyfriend was being a sore loser and seemed to be acting kind of strange nonetheless. He abruptly said he was going for a walk and left the cabin. I was pretty annoyed and just let him go for a while and didn't chase him. After about half an hour I started to get a bit anxious and called his cell. This is where things started to get really weird. He didn't answer at first, but he called me back right away. When I answered he seemed to have calmed down a bit, and I asked him where he was. He said he was sitting on a bench on the trail, then he asked where I was. This confused me a bit because I hadn't left the cabin since he left, and I wasn't likely to sense I'm terrified of the dark. I told him this and this suddenly freaked him out, and he said he was coming back to the cabin. It was weird because he's generally pretty level-headed and hard to actually scare. So after about two minutes I hear running footsteps coming to the cabin, and my boyfriend comes tearing into the cabin. Then this is what he told me. He had walked out to the trails to get some fresh air and sat down on one of the benches to look out at the ocean. The moon was pretty bright that night, so everything was illuminated pretty well. Then he said he heard someone walking by, and he saw this really tall and pale figure stop and look at him, and then continue on. For some reason, he assumed this was me coming to look for him, and that's when I called him and told him I was in the cabin. He said that, in retrospect, it was inhumanly tall and pale thanks, babe, and couldn't possibly be a person. He was not himself for the rest of the night and didn't seem normal until lunch the next day. Anyways, sorry for the long story. I made an account just to make this post. Does anyone have any ideas about what this might have been? Don't say Slenderman. I'm imagining something like the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Hiking in Japan, went up to a trio of mountains to see the three correlating shrines each a bit more remote and trail more treacherous than the last they weren't that dangerous, but the final trail had a sheer drop you edged past by holding a chain nailed into the cliff. Came down the last mountain on what I would now consider to be the wrong side. I was coming down an old service road, and there was clear evidence of landslides. Wasn't too worried about it that particular day because it had been dry for weeks. Anyway, get roughly to the base of this mountain and can only describe what I walked through as a shanty town, but the boxes and sheet metal the houses were built from 
were basically more spread apart. I guess it was more of a camp than a town. Anyway, the service road was dotted with these constructions for about 100 meters or so. No one was outside, but you know how you can sort of sense eyes on you. Yeah, I did actually spot a couple pairs of eyes peering out at me once or twice. It definitely felt like I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. Plus, it was getting dark, and I was racing back to the bus stop. Since it was fairly remote, it only came once every several hours. I ended up beating feet out of there, but it was a very weird, eerie experience. I can only guess I had stumbled upon some kind of homeless population that had holed up in what appeared to be an old campground. There were very poorly maintained pagodas and restrooms nearby as well as fire pits. I later did some very cursory digging to see what I could find out about the area, but it didn't really produce anything. The right side of the mountain was a cozy little riverside village. You'd never guess that its polar opposite was just on the other side of a mountain. It was all very bizarre. It's all kind of a fever dream of a memory. The mission had seemed straightforward enough. A covert operation in Eastern Europe to dismantle a dangerous arms smuggling ring. But as my Navy SEAL team and I infiltrated the enemy's hidden compound, we stumbled upon something that would change the course of our lives and the fate of the world. Hidden beneath the compound was an ancient tomb, its walls etched with ominous symbols that seemed to warn of a terrible curse. Against our better judgment, we opened the tomb, inadvertently releasing a long dormant plague that would soon wreak havoc on the countryside. The plague spread rapidly, infecting soldiers and civilians alike, transforming them into savage, monstrous beings with enhanced strength and speed. The infected, once our friends and allies, now became our enemies as we desperately tried to contain the outbreak. We joined forces with local resistance fighters, who were also battling against the mutated creatures and a shadowy organization intent on harnessing the plague's power for their own nefarious purposes. The line between friend and foe was rapidly blurring as the resistance struggled to discern the infected from the uninfected. As we raced against time to find a cure, we faced countless horrors and heart-wrenching decisions. We were forced to confront the terrifying reality that those we loved and trusted could turn against us at any moment, transformed by the relentless spread of the plague. Through our combined efforts, we managed to locate a long-forgotten research facility that held the key to a potential cure. But the shadowy organization was close on our heels, determined to seize the knowledge for themselves. We fought tooth and nail, our SEAL training put to the ultimate test as we engaged in combat against both the mutated creatures and the relentless agents of the organization. Our sacrifices were immense, but we knew that we could not fail. The fate of the world hung in the balance. In the end, we managed to secure the cure and halt the spread of the plague. But our victory came at a great cost. Many of our comrades, both SEALs and resistance fighters, had fallen in the struggle and countless lives had been forever altered by the monstrous transformations they had endured. The shadowy organization was defeated and their twisted ambitions were thwarted. But the scars of our harrowing mission remained, etched into our memories and the devastated landscape of Eastern Europe. We had faced the darkness within ourselves and within humanity and emerged forever changed by the knowledge that the line between friend and foe could be so easily erased.
So my girlfriend and I spent two years driving around the US and Canada. We are both Australian. Our rule was pretty much, find somewhere cool to stop, pull over, relax and enjoy the nature and the freedom of our travels. We never really had any bad times during this whole experience, except this one time. So we are staying at this little rest area on the coastal border between Oregon and Washington. It was beautiful. It's right beside the ocean. Sea otters on the rocks, cool sea breeze blowing through our van windows, and the sound of chill water lapping against the rocky shore. Very peaceful. I we went back into town after the sun had set to grab a pizza or something, and returned to a now empty car park. Whatever. We are used to this. Not a problem. We were just hanging out, watching shows on my computer and listening to the chill nothingness outside. It gets to about 10 p.m., and I decide to call it a night. As I am falling asleep, my girlfriend looks out the window and now notices a red U-tickup truck at the furthest end of the car park, like 50 meters away. There's a Ute down there, she says. I acknowledge this, but don't really care, haha. It drives away after sitting there for around 10 minutes. Five minutes later, it returns, but a couple of park spots closer. That car's is back. Now I am in the edge of sleep, eyes closed, brain now switching off the last switches of awakedom. All I can muster is a grunt. Ten minutes pass. Car leaves. Car comes back. This time closer again. My girlfriend now wakes me up and explains what is happening. I look through our windows to see a very beaten up red ute. Canopy on the back with completely blacked out windows. Now I'm feeling a little weird. I watch the car sit there, completely still and silent for another 10 minutes before it drives away, only to return once again moments later. It is now maybe two car spaces away. We are watching this car, presumably watching us. It is about 11.11.30, on a Wednesday night in a semi-lit car park in a foreign town in a foreign country. Being Australians, this dude probably has a gun exchanges back and forth between my girlfriend and I. This guy had parked so close that as soon as his door would open, he would more or less be at our van before we could even get out of our bed, which is built in the back of the van F this. I get out of my bed and crawl to the driver's seat all while staring at his blacked out almost driverless windows. Get to the driver's seat and got the F out of there. Zoomed across the bridge and slept in the car park of a Fred Meyer. Just the fact that the fella kept parking closer and closer in an otherwise vacant car park. F-Man. A few weeks ago, I hiked up to Lake Serene in Index, Washington. I started late and ended up at the lake around sunset. Seeing the sunset from high up is mesmerizing. I couldn't stop looking at the vivid colors. It was amazing how the purple mountains, the teal sky, and the orange light mixed together. As soon as the sun dropped, I realized very suddenly that I had a two-hour hike back to my car. I was prepared for this. I had my headlamp and I had hiked alone at night before. I was okay up higher in the steep terrain, but as I got lower and the terrain leveled out and I could hear running water, I started to get uncomfortable. This is where the critters would be. As I passed a fairly loud waterfall and rounded a corner, my surrounding went from loud white noise to almost complete silence in a few seconds. I felt an intense chill just from the silence. Somehow it was better with all the noise. Anyway, almost as soon as I was freaked out by the silence I had, something that sounded like a person popping their knuckle. 
Not a branch cracking, but a knuckle popping. I froze. I was terrified. Then I heard a thud with some decent bass to it, and a breathy grunt. Then I heard the leaves rustle. I could hear everything, because I had stepped into a wired silent spot. I was freaking out. I wanted to know where it was so I could maybe freak it out with my headlamp and yelling. I was looking for eyes glowing back at me, but I couldn't find anything. It was so much worse not knowing what was making the noise. I got very loud. I blew my emergency whistle a couple of times to scare it away. The worst part was that I still had another hour of walking through the pitch black mountain forest ahead of me. I was full on terrified the whole time. I was clapping and whistling loudly the whole way. If someone had come across me, I would have seemed crazy. I had no idea what I ran into, or if it was flowing me the whole time. Sometimes I would stop making noise and I would swear I heard it again, but I never saw its eyes. I've seen some crazy stuff in the mountains, but this simple experience of bumping into a creature in the night and not being able to identify it was truly the most terrifying experience of my life.